Hi, I'm here with Carrie McDonald. Um, she's been on the show before. She is a writer for FEE, Foundation for Economic Education, and a big homeschooling advocate, big unschooling advocate. Um, and there's a, we've got a lot to talk about, obviously. We've, we've talked before about um, homeschooling during the pandemic and um, you know what that looks like and how people are doing it. Um, welcome to the show again. Oh, it's great to be back with you, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I, I wanted to ask you first, um, Fee is hosting this this webinar, I guess, is that the right term for a webinar series, um, about teen entrepreneurship. And I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what that is going to be about. This is such an exciting opportunity. It's a free webinar series aimed at teens and young adults, uh, four-day webinar you can sign up for the full four days or pick and choose which webinars you want to attend. This is the week of November 16th. Uh, it's going to feature just some incredible um, speakers. Uh, moderated. I'm moderating one session on uh, Wednesday, November 18th. That's about turning passions into profits. And I'm really excited about that one. There's going to be two teen entrepreneurs uh, who are venture capital backed already. Wow. Uh, who have just been launching some, some, some great uh, businesses. And there will also be John Chisholm, who is a longtime entrepreneur, investor, and author. He'll be on that panel, as well as Danielle Strachman, who is a general partner and co-founder of the 1517 Fund. Uh, which is one of Peter Thiel's venture capital funds. So they're going to be on my panel on the 18th. But the other panels are also going to be moderated by FEE's Director of Entrepreneurship, uh, T.K. Coleman, as well as FEE's Creative Director, Sean Malone. Uh, there's going to be you know, some YouTubers and motivational speakers uh, on some of these panels. I mean, it's just really going to be fascinating looking at everything from how to get inspired to be an entrepreneur to how to really think more creatively and imaginatively, uh, as well as, again, how do you monetize those passions and think about, you know, cultivating that entrepreneurial spirit. So uh, you can definitely head over to fee.org to sign up for that. And it's, it's really going to be exciting. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. My, my teen is, um, he's 13. And his, his dream right now is to be a YouTuber. Um, I'm, I'm hoping he expands his horizons beyond that, but, um, but he, you know, there's already, I feel like in his culture in sort of the, the kids that he's around, um, there is this sense of, I, I don't, I don't get the sense that very many of them are looking to work for a big corporation. I get more the sense that they're, they're more like, you know, how am I going to, you know, get my YouTube channel up and how am I going to, you know, put up great content. And so I feel like that entrepreneurial spirit is already there. Mm -hmm. um, and I also feel like this is a great, the, this, this time when there's so much disruption in traditional education, this could be a great opportunity for teens to jump in and start creating their own things. Do you, do you feel like that's well, happening? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, if you think about it, certainly when I was a kid, right, the jobs that were available for tweens and teens were things like, you know, mowing lawns or babysitting or right. uh, shoveling snow, or maybe a newspaper route. Um, and so now, of course, what's available are internet um, related businesses. And in really even in some ways, you know, we sort of frown upon that, I suppose, as mom saying, oh, you know, yeah. my kid wants to be a YouTube star. Right. When they grow up. 
But on the other hand, there's so much that they learn, I think, through creating content on YouTube, figuring out uh, marketing and, yeah. uh, you know, content creation and all of that, 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 that they can be transferred into jobs down the road. And we really have no idea what those jobs will be down the road. So right. uh, in some ways, I think even more than lawn mowing, perhaps, uh, some of the skills that today's young people are um, are building can really turn into careers, uh, entrepreneurial endeavors, uh, or just, you know, solid skill sets that they'll be able to take with them. Um, and, you know, just to provide some more details on, on the Entrepreneur Week at FEE, the, the November 16th, the first uh, session that's being uh, moderated by TK Coleman is featuring uh, William King Hollis, who's a YouTuber uh, and an author on how to become exceptional. And then the second day with Sean Malone, who's FEE's creative director, there's a uh, YouTuber star, Ke Kevin Lieber, which uh, some of your listeners may know. He's got a great following and he also does um, a lot of fees, animated videos and some of their content mm. as well. So I think it's just a great way of sort of seeing some of the relevant content for teens now, but also how that content could become a career. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you make a really good point that the world they are going into you know, when they're at an, at an age where they're going to be needing to make, make a living for themselves, it's not only going to be a different world from the one that you and I entered and, and had to make a living in, um, it's going to be different from the world today. And, you know, I, I, in a way, I, I feel a little bit like, you know, the old fogey, you know, the, the, the parents trying to keep the kids back on the farm when, you know, they're heading to the big city and, you know, we're just not aware of, of the world you know, of, of their new world, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's something that, um, it is going to be, brand I mean, I think in some ways more so there's going to be more change between now and when they're, you know, making, making a living for themselves than there has been in, in probably many recent decades. So that's yeah, sort of tough for true. a parent. Well, it's true. And, and it's also, I think, indicative of just the world that we live in. It's incredibly dynamic, incredibly fast paced, always changing. The World Economic Forum a couple of years ago indicated that the most in-demand jobs and skill sets uh, today didn't even exist five mm -hmm. or 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so in that way, we, you know, we can't say, oh, we're preparing our children for the jobs of tomorrow. We don't know what those jobs are, but what we can do is encourage right. their creativity, hard work, perseverance. What are they passionate about? What are they interested in? How to turn that into a marketable business that people find value in. Uh, you know, those are the sorts of skills and qualities that I think will set up these teens and young adults for success in whatever uh, careers, occupations, and skill sets are needed, you know, a decade or less from now. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great point. I mean, and that's kind of my, you know, I come from a Montessori background. And so my focus with our son, especially has, has been more, you know, I want him to be, I want him to be doing stuff that he's interested in, that he's passionate about and to be working, you know, to be motivated himself to be doing things. Um, and my husband, who's a math PhD is like, but he's got to learn math. So it's there, there's this constant sort of tugging, tugging in different directions, but it's so true that we don't know what, we, we don't know what the the specific skills are going to be that it'll be valuable. But one thing that's for sure is learning how to work, you know, being passionate about something and really being able to dive into it and, 
um, you know, put yourself, put yourself to use in an area and really make, make the most of what you have is probably more of a more valuable skill than any particular, you know, knowing how to do quadratic equations or something. Um, and that's, I think that feel like that's, that's what I sort of try to focus on as a parent. And I think that's for homeschoolers. It's, it's something to keep in mind that it's not just, you know, it's not that we're, we're trying to teach specific skills, but the bigger skill of interacting with the world and creating something out of it. Yeah, it's really true. And I'm, I'm very excited for, again, my panel on November 18th with these two investors, but also two teen entrepreneurs. Uh, one of them is um, a young man who really started, he says, from the bedroom of his Pennsylvania home when he was uh, a young tween or teen, um, being a freelance web developer, building websites for Minecraft communities when that was sort of at its peak in the gaming world. And then he saw that that, that, that those networks were declining, but he was still into that uh, that realm and then realized that the next kind of big thing was network security. So he followed mm. what was sort of a gaming interest and, and website development into network security. And, and then he ended up, um, you know, finishing after high school, not going on to college, but creating this startup called Cybiot, C-Y-B-I-O-T, that's backed by the 1517 fund, the venture oh, wow. capital fund. Uh, and that's been, you know, just doing really amazingly. So that's another example where, again, parents, we might poo-poo our kids' interest in gaming or Minecraft or right. any of these things. But if we can inject, uh, you know, this kind of larger perspective and encourage our, our children to think about, you know, how could this become a marketable career? What are some of the trends you're seeing? Um, you know, what can you build that creates value for customers? I mean, those are the kinds of qualities that I think are so important to make mm-hmm. this a much more active experience for kids. Like, oh, you really love this particular technology um, rather than just sort of being a passive consumer of that. You know, let's think a little bit more broadly about, um, you, you know, what is the market? What, how could you turn, what, what are some unmet needs and how could you turn this passion into, into something profitable? Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. That's awesome. That is, my son's going to be very interested in that. Um, what are, what are some other examples, um, either, either from teens who are participating in the webinar or just that, that you can think of, of, of teens who have really created their own businesses? Yeah. So another uh, person who's participating um, in the session is this woman, Antonia, uh, and she and her, uh, her brother, you know, created another business that, again, kind of sprouted from interests and passions that they had as young teens and, and that, you know, now again has built into a real business. She's currently a senior at Stanford studying engineering um, and is sort of doing this business on the side. But, you know, again, just a real inspirational story of different pathways and different models that I think young people could really um, gravitate towards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it sounds like they're very aware of sort of what the, the market is asking for. You know, they're, it's a combination of, of what their passion is, but also seeing, oh, you know, this isn't, nobody's doing this anymore. So I'm going to, I'm going to move on to this. 
I think that's right. Yeah. And then, and then also, you know, realizing this kind of larger world of investment, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and venture capital. I mean, not, certainly not every small business or business idea would be ripe for venture capital funding. You know, those are kind of large scale, fast growth, highly profitable business models. Um, you know, so sometimes it can just be encouraging lifestyle entrepreneurship. You know, what can you do that that makes a good living for you, but uh, that, you know, you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily looking to sell a company for several hundred million dollars down the road. Right, right. Um, but I think that's even, that's all the more interesting to see these young people who have actually gone the VC route, who realize that they're onto something here and have gotten validation uh, in the market. Um, and of course, you know, the seven, the 15, 17 fund uh, is known for really trying to support young entrepreneurs early in their careers, early in their business ideas. Um, and, you know, sort of not waiting until they've necessarily had diplomas under their belt or that they've mm-hmm. racked up so many years of job experience, but really just kind of tapping into that energy that a lot of young people have um, and encouraging that, which I think is just such a wonderful, um, just a wonderful model and a great example for teens that, you know, you don't have to postpone uh, these right. ideas until you're later, that this is something that could be really big or it could be really fulfilling for you now and you should go for it. Yeah. 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 I think that's, um, an idea that a lot of us get in if we're, you know, I was in school in high junior high school and high school, and you get this idea that, you know, your real life starts after school and, um, you know, it's, it's nice to take the approach that it doesn't have to be that way. Um, any, do you have any, you had an article recently about teens and I don't remember if it was, if it was related to the entrepreneur week, but, do you have any any tips or advice for how to how to sort of how what are things we can do to work with teenagers to encourage them on this path or to just um, maybe not get in their way? Right. Yes. Yeah. So, so I had an article. It was actually earlier in the summer when it was looking like there weren't going to be a lot of summer jobs for teens. I mean, if you think okay. about historically where. Uh, a lot of the teen jobs have been particularly over the summer months. It's been things like, um, you know, hospitality and travel and recreation and all of those kinds of things that were really, I think, stymied this summer because of the pandemic. Uh, and so kind of with that in mind, the article really focused on, you know, what can teens do? Where, where are the opportunities that they can spot? now to build a business rather than relying on some of these traditional teen summer jobs. And I think that's still relevant. You know, I had interviewed John Chisholm, who is this author and investor, uh, entrepreneur who's going to be on my panel, but who's also, you know, written extensively about how to turn passions into into profits, particularly geared at young entrepreneurs. Uh, And I also interviewed T.K. Coleman, again, fees director of entrepreneurship for that article. And both of them said, you know, look for the unmet needs, look for what, what are uh, people's pain points, even in your neighborhood. And I think TK had a really mm-hmm. interesting point in this particular article about, you know, <laughs> look at uh, parents who have to deal with, you know, childcare or having their children doing Zoom school and all of these stresses that are 
that are that have been imposed on them at this point, you know, that could be a great opportunity to start a tutoring business in mm-hmm. your local neighborhood or to become, uh, you know, a mother's helper or a ba- create a babysitting business or some kind of caregiving business, uh, run errands for people who, you know, might want more of a, um, uh, a delivery, you know, more of a personal delivery service right. rather than right. relying on, on one of the kind of um, larger more impersonal brands. So, you know, I think those are these just wonderful tips for young people of what are the needs in your neighborhood, in your community mm-hmm. uh, that can really, you know, be helpful. I, and I, I think I also mentioned in this, um, in this article, I have a teenage daughter as well. And she uh, found that particularly earlier in, in the pandemic among the shutdowns here in Boston, uh, that a lot of our local bakeries or coffee shops weren't serving baked goods. They, if they were doing anything, it was you know really kind of slim pickings and mostly coffee and other beverages. And there was still, though, all of this demand, perhaps even more so in our neighborhood because people were at home and they wanted yeah. their fresh baked goods. So she's always had this passion for baking and has always sort of done you know on-demand cakes and things like that. Uh, but really kind of built up this baking business because she saw that demand. And I think that's the kind of thing is encouraging young people use their creativity, use their passions and think about what are some of those holes, some of those uh, pain points among your neighbors that you can fill. Yeah. Yeah. And there seems to be a, there's, there's another layer to this too, because there's, there's the psychological dimension for teens. I think for teens, especially because you're, you know, you're coming from an age where you're a child, you're kind of being taken care of, and then you all of a sudden need to kind of, you need meaning in your life. And you get to a point where you start to have a real need, I think, to contribute to the people around you. And especially at a time when teens are really being hit by the social isolation, Mm -hmm. um, by having a lot of activities restricted. Um, I mean, you know, things like depression are, are a real thing for for teens and for young people. And it seems like, you know, financial and career incentives aside, there's this whole dimension of, you know, if, you, if you're getting out there and seeing what other people need and really focusing on making a contribution to other people, that's going to make you feel better. That's going to, that's, gonna that's that's a really powerful way to drag somebody out of their own what if they're in a slump because of all this it seems like there's a there's a huge psychological benefit to being engaged that way too I think that's true I, I think that's true for all of us right not yeah just yeah people, but all of us I mean I know I feel better when I'm producing when I'm creating content when right. I, you know, then I'm not then I'm not thinking about you know this crazy time that we're in and and yeah. feeling you know so um so much despair about that. So I think there's a lot to be said for just getting out there and creating. This is something that TK Coleman uh, writes about and speaks a lot about on his podcast and in his materials. Just, uh, you know, just create, just get up every day, mm-hmm. create mm-hmm. something, you know, it doesn't even have to be shared, but just that process, that creative process of, of producing something um, can, as you say, be very therapeutic and also, you know, could lead into some really great uh, you know, business possibilities down the road or some skill sets that you can build up and so on. Um, so I, you know, I think that's true. And you're, you're absolutely right that it's just tragic to see 
um, the amount of youth depression and suicides that yeah. have increased. Of course, we were already, as we've talked about before, seeing that uptick even prior to the pandemic in terms of youth anxiety, depression, and suicide, but it's just really mm-hmm. skyrocketed. And my colleague at Fee, John Miltimore, uh, just reported last week that suicides are up nearly 100% among young people in oh uh, a large county in Wisconsin. There was another Wisconsin county where a, a 10-year-old girl um, tragically lost her life to suicide. So just, you know, tremendous despair uh, that we're seeing as a result of the pandemic, particularly among young people who, are, of course, yeah. are really bearing the brunt, I think, of these lockdowns. Um, and so, right, anything that we can do to encourage young people to be creative, to be productive, I think can help to alleviate some of that despair. And there's yeah. another piece of it too that, you know, even though it's terrible that these young people are you know, severed from their communities and are maybe have limited exposure to friends and other networks uh, in their larger neighborhoods, I think, you know, one possible bright spot is that you know, previously teens' lives were very scheduled um, and, mm-hmm. and typically adult-supervised and adult-led. You know, they went from all day in school to then after school, uh, typically adult-led, you know, activities to then homework. So there was often very little time for them uh, to do anything that was sort of meaningful for them. We also saw, you know, the Bureau of Labor Statistics finding uh, plummeting rates of teen labor force right, participation. Right, that was yeah, that was yeah. well before this. Yeah, well before this, because I think of this uh, this focus on extracurriculars and academic work, more time spent in school and other academic-like settings to the detriment of actually having kind of real-world job experience yeah. and building up some of these skill sets. So, you know, if there's maybe, you know, one bright spot in the pandemic for teens, it could be that this is an opportunity to, you know, kind of figure out what are my passions? What am I interested yeah, in? Yeah, yeah. And then there's so many available resources online, of course, to build up some of these skill sets, to take some classes, to go to websites like Coursera uh, or Udemy that offer these online mainly free uh, classes and all kinds of different topics and just get a taste of, you know, different perspectives and subject areas and topics and then build up some skills, maybe some technology skills or communication writing skills, those kinds of things that will really help, I think, young people to invest in in themselves personally and in in their interests and careers down the road. Yeah. And I'm also noticing, you know, when our son has, he's got a lot of free time, um, but when he's, you know, doing his own thing, a lot of it is online stuff. Some of it's gaming, some of it's just talking with friends, but they're very much, um, they're very much building their own communities. I mean, my son has, he's acted as sort of a I don't know if judge is the right word, but he's helped to settle disputes and they ha- there are rules that they come up with. So it's interesting. It's interesting to, to watch them sort of um, in this unstructured environment, you know, whether it's on Minecraft or in, in a game or off, off a game um, to watch them come up with, you know, kind of build their own societies. I think that's kind of, that's a little bit of a bright spot too, is that mm-hmm. they, they have this, mm-hmm external they have this little world now that they're getting a lot more time in where they get to kind of build their own world 
I think that's true. And I think that's where, you know, for today's teens, especially, they are so comfortable with technology. They've been accustomed in the past, even prior to the pandemic, to using a lot of these tools like uh, Google Docs or certainly Zoom and other kinds of web, you know, FaceTime and web, web software. So in that way, I think it's been a little bit less painful for them than maybe it has been yeah. for some of the adults. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any ideas, um, not necessarily for teens, but because you've written about um, entrepreneurship in the, in the pandemic, and you know, um, just as an example, I'm, I think we talked about this before. I'm helping a local um, nonprofit to set up sort of a learning center for people to come and kids to come, and if they're doing online classes, they can do it in this outdoor environment with animals. It's sort of a ranch and that kind of thing. So. To me, that was just there was this huge opportunity. There it seems to be seemed to be a huge need for kids to get out of the house, for kids to be in nature, that kind of thing. Are there any opportunities you're, that you see, you know, as a homeschooler? Are there are there needs you know, with all this shifting and all these all of a sudden everybody's doing something they've you know a lot of people are doing something they've never done before. What are some needs that you see? that could be filled by entrepreneurs, teen or otherwise? Right. That's a great question. So earlier this month, I wrote an article uh, for fee.org about how entrepreneurship is skyrocketing during the pandemic. Maybe, you know, another silver lining here among all of the misery. Um, But the Wall Street Journal did an analysis finding that Americans were starting new businesses at the fastest rate in more than a decade. Wow. This, um, this is post-pandemic? This is during the pandemic. Wow. This is just wow. since the pandemic has happened. Uh, you know, they found they were looking at a variety of different indicators, including applications for EIN numbers, those employer uh-huh. identification numbers that new businesses will apply for, finding that there had been 3.2 million EIN applications compared to only 2.7 million at the same time last year. Wow. So, you know, just some, some real movement there. They also had some other indicators around um, employee growth and so on. So seeing some some businesses increasing. But I think there has been, as much as there's been these layoffs and this disruption in the labor market, a lot of people, a lot of companies closing down and people being laid off. It's also, I think, triggered, and this is what the Wall Street Journal article said as well, it's it's triggered, um, you know, prompted some people who maybe in the past had considered entrepreneurship, but lacked that catalyst, mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me, to make it happen. Yeah. Or, um, or, you know, just had an idea for, again, these unmet needs that have sprouted during the pandemic. Uh, and so the Wall Street Journal right. article really goes into a lot of detail. I linked to it in my article about specific people creating different kinds of um, businesses. Uh, uh, there was a bookstore business and a baking business and so on. Uh, and then I also, in for my article, interviewed some entrepreneurs who started businesses or who pivoted businesses uh, during the pandemic, one of those entrepreneurs is a longtime entrepreneur, Michael Strong. Oh, yeah. Who just launched. Yeah, yeah I'm sure you know Michael. So yeah. he just launched uh, a company or a virtual school business called Expanse that provides a sort of high-touch, project-based, live remote learning to middle schoolers throughout the U.S. And it was something he had been working on. I mean, he's been in education for so long and, and created, you know, all kinds of different uh, educational learning products. He had been working on some kind of brick and mortar schools, low cost brick and mortar schools most recently. And then obviously realized, Hey, I have to pivot. 
to mm -hmm. this remote learning or online learning, which he was thinking about doing, you know, a couple of years from now or sometime in the future. And he just accelerated that process by creating uh, right. this company now um, that's, you know, just doing some incredible things and partnering with some great organizations. And then there was another uh, entrepreneur, sounds like similar to what you're doing um, with helping out the, the learning center that you mentioned, but another um, entrepreneur in Washington, D.C., who is planning on opening an in-person homeschool resource center this fall. Mm, nice. uh, and then, of course, was unable to open it in person, but switched over to, um, to online. And that's been working out well. And of course, the, the benefit there is there's actually more homeschoolers now. Right, <laughs> so even right. Though, there's a whole, you know, the market exactly. has doubled or something. So yeah, there's, exactly. a, there's all of so, that. So even though the, the the business plan changed or the business model changed from in-person to online, the benefit was there's more of a market there. There's more families who are interested yeah. in it. So it's that, it's just been interesting to see the ways in which um, people have been able to be creative during this pandemic. And I think that's really the key is to try to, to not get uh, so frustrated with what we're seeing uh, yeah, happening because it around is, us. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. I mean... Obviously, I'm very much opposed to the lockdowns and to all of that that stuff, and I wish it had never happened, and it's obviously right. hurting a lot of people, but the other side of that is it is change, and anytime there's change, there's opportunity, and so, you know, the, the best thing you can do in that moment is, is, you know, yes, fight the lockdowns, but also take advantage of that opportunity and, and possibly make things better. I mean, my hope, that's that's really encouraging to hear about the, the number of new businesses starting, my hope is that they're not all squashed by regulations. Um, I, I, years and years ago, I, I did a paper um, looking at Hong, comparing Hong Kong to the U.S. in terms of free market policies, mm. and the numbers of the number of small businesses—I forget what the number was—but it was you know like at least double in Hong Kong versus the US of like small family owned businesses. And this was, you know, like 20 years ago. Um, and it was just so, you know, in Hong Kong and lots of parts of Asia, it's so normal to, you know, if you if you lose your job, if your company goes under, or if your business fails, you just up and start a new business. It's not it's not a big deal and it's not, you know, it's, it, it's, it can be a small little thing. It can be street food on, you know, out on the street or something, but because it's so easy for people to do that, there are so few regulatory barriers, you know, people can set up a little, you know, food cart or something. And I, I wish, I wish that that would happen here. I wish that people would just recognize me on the local level. God, if we just got rid of some of these barriers, unemployment wouldn't be such a, such a scary thing. You know, all these people out of work would have this other outlet where they could meet each other's needs and, you know, keep their families fed. Um, so it's encouraging that people are moving in that direction. And I'm, I still worry that, you know, we live in such a regulatory state mm -hmm. that so much more could be done. Right. I mean, I was, I was heartened to see in the Wall Street Journal article, and I elaborated on it in my fee article on entrepreneurship, um, the use of the term creative destruction that was, of course, of course nice. popularized by yeah. economist Joseph Schumpeter in yeah. the 1940s. Um, but just this idea that, you know, in a, in a dynamic free market economy, we will have this creative destruction where the old will be replaced by the new. And I think that's what's been encouraging now, you know, certainly in seeing 
seeing this this spike in entrepreneurship this year, um, and then also just encouraging more people to instead of you know as this as this goes on or we enter you know into even more lockdowns, it seems certainly globally at this point, rather than letting that get us down uh, and sort of paralyzed in some ways, I think the the key is really to think about okay, how can I um, create something new? How can I yeah. you know, yeah, get some momentum here to build, you know, what, what other people need to build the future um, and think about what's not working and then move ahead. I think we are, we are seeing that certain industries, certainly in education with the amount of disruption there, but I think we could see it, you know, in, in other industries as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, switch gears a little bit. You had a piece about Halloween. Um, what are your thoughts on, um, on, all these restrictions on Halloween, what are you guys going to be doing? Yeah, you know, these, these Halloween, there's been these trick-or-treating bans, which is my article today at fee.org, um, that have sprouted over the last month. I'm, as I mentioned, I'm in Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, a city in western Massachusetts, Springfield, Massachusetts, was one of the first cities in the country a few weeks ago to ban trick-or-treating on Halloween. That was followed by another big city, Worcester, Massachusetts, a couple weeks later. Um, there's counties in Texas. I know Los Angeles County also tried to ban but then retreated and said, well, we really discourage it, but we're not going to be out there ticketing you if you're out there. I think they remember what happened in the 4th of July. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they they, they had, there was a ban on illegal fireworks. And... um, the, so they, 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 they banned all the official sort of fireworks demonstrations. And then they also said, you know, no illegal fireworks. The fireworks display on the 4th of July in mm. Los Angeles was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, mm. There's aerial footage. It looks like, I mean, it looks like every single household in Los Angeles was shooting off fireworks. It was amazing. So my whole thinking was, yeah, they thought about that. You know, they said they were going to ban trick or treating and then they, they had to at some level worry that that was going to backfire in the same way because, you know, nobody, you know, a lot of people are not going to do it because they themselves are scared, but the people who who want to do it are going to do it. Right. Well, and and that's, it's great to hear, you know, just sort of that decentralized energy and, and uh, you know, just people really exercising kind of their individual freedom um, in that kind of constructive way. I think that's really, that's really a positive development. You know, in this case with, with Halloween and trick or treating, it was the CDC that came out back in September with their, recommendations and guidelines for uh, Halloween and trick-or-treating. And they uh, categorized various Halloween activities with high, low, or moderate risk and really encouraged people to do these kind of low and moderate risk activities. Things like, oh, just carve pumpkins on your, at your house and display them or, uh, Right, because that's really exciting for kids on Halloween right, night. Or, yeah, or have a virtual costume party. Yeah. You know? I mean, these kinds of things. And I think it's, again, you know, where we talked earlier about just young people are really the ones bearing the brunt of this pandemic in terms of um, having to be isolated and locked down for a yeah. virus that, thankfully, you know, doesn't have the same level of... Um, impact or severe impact uh, for young people as it does for older people. So they really are, you know, bearing a lot of the cost of this. And then especially when you combine that with these kind of mounting rates of 
young people, um, depression and, and suicidal ideation or attempts, you know, then you add in trick or treating bans and yeah. these other kinds let's, of Let's stamp out everything that makes their lives fun. Yeah. Particularly with trick or treating, of course, because you know, you're outside, you're masked. Yeah. yeah. You'd think they'd be happy uh, with that. <laughs> Um, and you know, we know that, for example, public health experts have applauded protesting and other kinds of outdoor right. Um, right. activities. And so then, you know, something that's even smaller, much more supervised and contained as trick or treating, um, you know, to have that be criticized, you know, some, I do mention in my article, um, giving credit actually to the governor, the Republican governor of Massachusetts and the Democratic mm. governor of New York, who both basically said the same thing, that it's it's not necessarily wise to be banning uh, Halloween or banning trick-or-treating because it will it will then prompt people to go inside and have these, um, you know, household parties inside, which if we're thinking about viral spread, yeah, you know, is much more likely. Right, so, right. Uh, so the better thing is to just, you know, be responsible. Like what I said in my article, sort of encouraging families. So I think a lot of families are afraid and they're, even if they're, even if trick-or-treating isn't necessarily banned in their community, there's, um, you know, a sense of, gee, can we do it? And I, yeah, and I think the, the, yeah. the, the thing to remember is, of course, you know, wear your Halloween masks and, and then follow the kind of the same, um, tactics you would typically, you know, go to houses that, you know, of people who are open to this and avoid the houses that have their lights off or their blinds dry. I mean, it seems like, it seems like trick or treating is sort of the perfect exercise in people choosing whether they want to participate or not, because even any other year, people are pretty good at making it clear whether they're handing out candy or not. I mean, if you've got a bunch mm-hmm. of decorations and lights and, and, and if you've got a sign outside saying, you know, we've got, we've got stuff for people with allergies or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. people can make it clear. You know, if your whole house is dark, it's a, it's a pretty clear message and nobody's going to, you know, people aren't going to come up and try and smear their germs on your windows or, or anything. I mean, it's, it's, it just seems like it's sort of the perfect setup for those who want to participate do it. Those who, who feel nervous about it, nobody's pushing you to, no one's going to come up to your house if your lights are, I mean, it just seems exactly. like there's, there's no threat to anyone who's, who, who is genuinely concerned. Exactly. I mean, I think uh, you're absolutely right that Halloween is that sort of perfect opt-in, opt-out holiday. I mean, I remember my, you know, my grandmother, uh, when she got up in age, she would just turn her lights off and yeah. on Halloween and, and it would be a signal for the trick-or-treaters not to come there. And I think the same yeah. thing is if we're thinking about vulnerable individuals or people who want to um, limit their possible exposure to COVID-19, you know, this is, Halloween is that kind of place where you just wouldn't go to those houses where they're, the lights are off and the shades are drawn. Like it's just sort of a, uh, anything that we would tell our kids in the past applies even more so now, um, right. sort of right. typical Halloween, uh, trick or treating etiquette. I, I loved this one comment I got on this, uh, on my post today on my Twitter account from someone who said, I, I bought more candy than I usually do. Any kids who show up at our house are getting handfuls of candy this year. I did the same thing. We got like the oh. big Hershey bars. So <laughs> Anyone who knows where we live, come on by. Big Hershey oh, bars, got great. some Hershey's with nuts stuff. We've got gluten free. <laughs> we've got allergy friendly. We've got none. Just come on over. We've got we yeah. We went all out this year. We went all out. So oh, that's hopefully great. the Halloween that's industry great. is is getting a boost from us anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when I think about all this, I feel like the kids. You know, we're talking about 
teen entrepreneurship and kid entrepreneurship and how much, you know, they are so much more comfortable with kind of the new world than us oldsters are. Um, they're hooked in with each other. And I just, I feel like if, if I were writing a script about what today's world is, is, is going to be, I would have, I would have it be a kid's revolution. I would have mm-hmm. the kids just say, you know what, you guys have, you've, you've screwed this up so badly. <laughs> we're just going to, and you don't really know how to use the internet. We're going to take over. We're going to, we're going to get together. We're going to put a stop to this nonsense and um, we're going to take over the world. So I, mm-hmm. I, 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 kind of hope something like that happens. I, I, I really, I would, I'd like to see kids. And I think with more homeschooling, I think we are seeing that um, really kind of take charge in a way and um, find ways to, to break out of, of the nonsense that we're imposing. And we, I don't mean we obviously, but, but that, you know, the governments and a lot of the people around them are imposing on them because you know, you're right. They are, they're suffering. They're one of the groups that's hardest hit by all of this. And yet they're also the least at risk in generally speaking. So, you know, I just, I can imagine that they, so many of them must be thinking, you know, this is, this is complete nonsense. The adults have have gone mad and we need to take the world back from them. That's such a good point. There was a great article uh, at Fee a couple of weeks ago um, written by Emma Elliott Frere, and she said, uh, why COVID kids may grow up to be libertarians. And it was sort of this sense that uh, these, this, she was making the point that sort of these violations of a child's innate sense of fairness, um, what seem like these sort of arbitrary rules. um, Yeah, I think that, and then, and then coupled, you know, with young people's um, familiarity and comfort with technology and with the ways in which that can connect people and and really connect the world. I think uh, it's true. We could see this as being a real moment for not only entrepreneurship, but connection and, uh, and young people empowerment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I sure hope so. Um, Thank you so much for coming back on again. Oh, it's great to be with you, Brittany. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll have and we're going to be doing the Entrepreneur Week. So my my son will be there for part of it, and um, really looking forward to it. Oh, 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 oh and I wanted yeah. to mention. Oh, I wanted to mention your book too. You've got an ebook coming out. Um, do you want to just say a few words about that? Yeah, so it's a free ebook that's already out. It's called Homeschooling in the Time of COVID-19. Uh, if you go to my website at fee, which is fee.org slash Kerry, K-E-R-R-Y, you'll see it right there. Uh, and it's a collection of my essays, um, both from, co- from and during COVID about uh, homeschooling during the pandemic, but it also includes some of my earlier articles about encouraging self-directed education and parents kind of re- re- reassuming control of their children's education away from the state and ways to make that more possible and accessible to more families. So check that out. I mean, I really, as we've talked before, this is you know truly a, a transformative moment in education yeah. with yeah. homeschooling rates doubling, according to Gallup. Over last year, um, we're seeing you know pri- many private schools really flourishing as public schools, particularly mm-hmm. under the weight of uh, teacher union influence, not opening fully. Uh, yeah. That's frustrating a lot of parents, and as a result, uh, even NPR reporting uh, just recently about 
massive enrollment drops in public schools as parents, you know, flee their district schools for private options like homeschooling or private schools. And I think really the longer this continues, the more parents are going to say, you know, why would I go back to this district school? I've found yeah. uh, an educational environment that's better for my kids and, and that's working for us. So I think there's, you know, a lot of opportunity there for parents, again, to, to have that catalyst to try something new and hopefully something better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's happening. So, yeah. Thank you again. I will link to that in the show notes um, and also to, to the Entrepreneur Week. So, um, yeah, thank you so much. Oh, thanks again, Brittany. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye.